Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're talking with Jackie Hill Perry, author, poet, recording artist, and speaker, about her new book from B&H Publishers, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. She's also a wife to Preston and mommy to two daughters, Eden and Autumn. Jackie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, um, I have to comment on um, how impressive, I don't know if the word intimidating is there, uh, your persona is online. And I've just met you briefly a couple times in person. And you have a, um, oh, I don't know, is it, are you introverted? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm introverted as well. And and I noticed, like, I, I think... All, the expressiveness between being a writer, probably, and uh, you know the online platform. Um, sometimes it gives the impression that uh, we're we're two different people. I don't know. Do you have that experience? Yeah, um, yeah, and and I'm on Instagram. I'm funny, okay. And so I think both of them are pretty off-putting when people meet me and I'm just sitting in a corner. <laughs> That's so. right. <laughs> I'm the same way. Uh, and that's why I continuously try to say, this is this is a fraction of who I am. Me tweeting something or me cracking a joke in my car doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be buddies, you know, <laughs> or BFF when we meet in person right. at the TGC conference. So That's right. And and <laughs> so, chances yeah. are we're not going to be buddies. <laughs> no. Or we might be, if you understand, like people that understand, like, oh, I'm an introvert too, I get it, hi, we don't have to talk much. Oh, yay, great. You're right. Cool. Hey, it's been a busy year for you, hasn't it? So you have this book, which we'll talk about in a minute, but you also had an album and you had a baby? I did. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a very productive person. Um, It sounds like it. (laughs) That's a a good thing and a bad thing. Um, yeah, it's, I knew that 2018 would be a lot, just because in 2017 is when, you know, the book contract was signed and when uh, me and uh, Humble Beast were talking through, you know, a potential album and when I just so happened to get pregnant. So <laughs> I knew it would be crazy, but um, it's, it's fun. I just, I would rather be doing things and kind of busy than like, having all of this stuff in my head and all of these thoughts and all these creative ideas and not being able to get it out. Right. So. I, I think that's something that, that those who aren't writers or those who aren't artists, they don't quite understand sometimes, you know, when you get the question like, where does, you know, where do your ideas come from? Or um, for me, the, the question about writing, like, you know, the discipline of writing. And it, it always strikes me odd when I first hear it because I just, I, I, I haven't known a time where I've been able to like suppress the ideas <laughs> and the you know the yeah. like the thoughts just come. Is it like that for you? Yeah, I I, I was at a conference uh, some weeks ago, and in the there was a writers' workshop, and one lady was like, "I don't have anything to write, so how do you come up with ideas?" And the woman that responded kind of gave her like a framework for how to come up with ideas. But afterwards I was like, she's probably not a writer. Yeah. Because I think if you're a writer, you always have something to say. That's right. There's something in the world that does something to your soul (laughs) that you just have to communicate about. And so, yeah, I 
I have so many book ideas in my my brain. It's ridiculous. Me too. It, it it's hard. You know, yeah. it, it it's hard not to have <laughs> ideas. Sometimes sorting out yeah. which ones are the ones worth exploring is probably more of the of the problem or putting in. Yeah, print. what's necessary to be to be heard right now? Because writing a book, I'm you know better than I is a commitment. Yeah, and so. This has to be particularly like burning me. That's right. <laughs> for me to talk about. That's right. And yeah, and and the commitment not just to write it, but then what goes in after it. You know, it, it's something mm-hmm. you know you can't get tired of this because you're going to be talking about it for a while, and and uh, and hopefully it'll yeah. be, it'll be living. So speaking of that, <laughs> I have a few questions to ask you uh, about your new book, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. Uh, one thing I noticed that's unique about the way your book is written, right? So if you're just going by the title, at least maybe not even the subtitle, but just the title, um, the way people would read that, it, it, it doesn't read as a, you know, it's not a, a nonfiction book about homosexuality. I mean, I, I guess in, in a way it is, but that's not how it reads. It has... Um, well, it's your story, but it also has kind of a, a sense of poetry, I think, to the way it's expressed. Yeah. So why don't you share with us, you know, what was the major impetus in in writing it? And write it? why did you write it that way? Hmm. Well, we're writing it, I, I feel like uh, ever since I've kind of been a Christian with some sense of or some type of influence in a way, that's just a topic I discuss a lot, and it's a topic that I have a heart for. Um, and so I felt like a book just has a lasting effect that usually is a lot more uh, helpful and deep than just a tweet or a random talk at a place that was uploaded on YouTube that you have to search and find. I don't know, it's just something about books that, that is really just good for people. Um, I think the, the reason I wrote it that way is because I'm a creative, naturally. Um, I'm a poet. I'm a rapper. And I'm inspired by reading things that that does something to my mind. Like, and I, I've always felt like in the Christian community, I read a lot of stuff that has helped me theologically, but they haven't helped me artistically or creatively um, because it just feels like I feel like I'm reading uh, manuscripts yeah. for a, a lesson more often <laughs> than I'm reading like a written piece of art. That's and so right. when I read C.S. Lewis, that's artwork even though it is theological. Even Spurgeon, the way he talked to me, I can read his sermons because they feel artful. And so I just wanted to be able to both talk about God in a very artistic way um, and just be creative as I did it because that matters to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a difference. Um, one thing I try to express with um, our, our preaching students is just the, the sense of exaltational writing. You know, you can you you, you mm-hmm. can you can get the point across, and yet you can get the point across also in a way that adorns the point at the same time that feels worshipful. And you know, typically artists and writers and creatives get that a little better. In the in the introduction, you say um, that you wrote the book out of love. What do you mean by that? Um. I had a few people in mind when writing the book. I had those in the church who are seeking to love the LGBTQ community well. I had those in the church that are yet and still same-sex attracted um, in mind. And I had unbelievers who are same-sex attracted in mind. 
And so for them, I just had a compassion for all three groups um, to help them see God rightly, help them see the gospel rightly, help them to even see image bearers and people rightly, Um, because I think that just transforms how we love people and how we love God. So, yeah, it was this is a complete act of love, especially because I was pregnant and tired (laughs) and sleepy and hungry. And (laughs) so I had to keep love uh, at the forefront of my mind as I wrote the 60,000 page manuscript or word manuscript. Yeah, I, I'd be curious in exploring that the you know parallel experience of a child and a book gestating at the same time. Oh, man. <laughs> Babies are easier. Okay. Oh wow. Uh, okay. I don't believe it. <laughs> it is. That's I mean, you have an epidural. I, I, you can you can deliver the baby. Got yeah. it, put the little thing in your spine, and you're great. Books. <laughs> all you got is coffee. That's it. Mm. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's a good word. Um, why don't you share um, with our listeners who may not be familiar, we've kind of jumped ahead or I've jumped us ahead in the sense of your story, um, you know, as as much as you want to tell, but, you know, sort of the, give us the gist of your conversion experience. And um, and so the, the kernel of the story that, you know, became the book. Yeah. So, uh, raised single-parent household, um, was molested pretty early, five or six, uh, had a level of gender confusion, didn't feel as if I was supposed to be a girl, didn't really know, didn't even know how to put language to that. It just it just was a discontentment there. Um, <clears throat> noticed that I was same-sex attracted, uh, kindergarten, first grade, didn't know, again, what that was, but I just noticed that I liked little boys and little girls all at the same time. Um, but I went to church, um, and heard in church that it was a sin, um, but the way it was discussed and the way it was presented to me um, kind of put me not in the closet. That sounds cliche, but put me in a uh, in a place where it wasn't something that I easily uh, was willing to confess to anybody. Um, until high school came, which is when I I just felt like I, I was tired of acting like the affections weren't there, and so I just did what I did. I became a lesbian, and then eventually transitioned into a stud, a stud in the black gay community is a woman who pretty much dresses male, um, can try to, I try to, but act masculine in her own uh, way is the domineering voice in the relationship typically. And so I just kind of lived as a very young lesbian and enjoyed it. Felt like that was more natural to me than heterosexuality had ever been. Um, but I, in it all, I kind of felt this, um, this pull towards God <laughs> that yeah. I couldn't I couldn't uh, do away with, and it was just the most irritating thing in the world <laughs> to just continuously be reminded that God wanted me, that um, of His gospel. And I, it, it wasn't that I knew a lot about Jesus; I just knew enough. I knew that He died for sinners because I remember them telling me that in Sunday school. And so, when I was nineteen, um, I was in my room, and it felt as if God spoke to my heart in such a way where I just saw my sin. For real, for real. I saw that, like, everything that God had to say in the scriptures about sin wasn't theoretical. It wasn't imaginary. It wasn't a metaphor. It was actual. And I really believed it. And it wasn't just the sin of sexual immorality, but it was holistically everything that I did was problematic (laughs) to the glory of God. Um, But I saw also and remembered that in John 3.16, the verse that we all memorized when I was six, 
was that Jesus loved and came and died for people like me, sinners, so that I could have eternal life. And so, yeah, it was just a really random conversion. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like I prayed, God, please convert me today. But God just came in um, and changed my heart, changed my soul to help me love him. And so the book is me kind of fleshing all of that out, fleshing out my story, but also fleshing out my discipleship and what it was like to join a, a body of believers and how I grew in the knowledge of God because of community, how I had to learn how to love a man who was so biologically different than women are, um, and how to be a mother now to women when at one point in time I didn't think that I should be a woman. So the book is just me dialoguing about all of that. Yeah. Were you able to find in in those early days of your conversion, um, you know, community that was uh, in a sense, understanding or at least willing to walk with you through sorting that out? Yeah. Um, the first church I went to, in the book I mentioned how uh, they they were a very loving church, um, but they were a church that were more committed to the expression of gifts than the, like, gospel, I see. <laughs> if right. you will. And so I didn't really learn about anything related to the gospel and how they could keep me and save me um, until maybe a year into my uh, Christian walk. But I, I think one thing they did is they, they just kind of loved me as Jackie. And I think that was helpful because when I, when, I, when I joined the church, I never felt like an ex-lesbian. It didn't even, my conversations didn't even center around my sexuality. It just kind of centered around my soul and my heart and my in my life, how was your week? How was your day? How how are you doing in your prayer life with God? How was your Bible reading? And so I think it was good to immediately go into a community that kind of showed me again that my problem or my discipleship needed to be a holistic one. Um, and so yeah, I never felt unaccepted in any way. I always felt very hurt. Now, did I feel like they could actually help me practically? No, hmm. um, but I got that eventually. Yeah. Where did your um, your understanding of the centrality of the gospel and kind of a, a more robust understanding of of the gospel theologically and, and what have you, where did that come from? Yeah, I started to go to this church. Well, I heard about this church online in L.A., and um, I won't mention the name, but I heard about the church online, and um, it was weird. The way they talked about Jesus, it was like he was the center of everything. And I just was like, whoa. Like, why is he in every sermon? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I went to the church, and it was just something to me to, to continuously hear people preach the gospel and and have a preeminence to the gospel, even in, like, texts that I didn't know that— I didn't know that Exodus had anything to do with the gospel. The Old Testament, period. I was like, why right. are we getting to Jesus here? I, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect that. And so yeah. <laughs> I think that—and it, it did something to my my— walk with the Lord, where it was like I had a deeper commitment to Jesus because I was hearing much more about Jesus every Sunday than I was hearing about myself and my gifts and what I could do and my purpose and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that church, that that, that kind of, that literally revolutionized how I read the Bible um, and how I saw Christianity. I, I saw that Christianity is to be lived in light of the gospel, period. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm forever thankful for them uh, for doing that. Yeah, I think I think maybe there's something there about f- finding ourselves in a decentering 
of ourselves, finding Christ at the center, and it actually, that understanding speaks more to our understanding of ourself and, and identity and, and that sort of thing. I want to ask you some, some questions about that subject in particular, identity, um, but first let's take a coffee break and hear from our friends at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're talking with Jackie Hill Perry, author of the new book, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. Um, there's a portion of the book that um, has been somewhat controversial, at least it was controversial for us when we posted it at For the Church, um, <laughs> because because you talk about the heterosexual gospel and uh, the need for the church not to preach a heterosexual gospel. Um, can you tease that out? Explain what you mean by that and uh, and, and why we should avoid it. Yeah, so the heterosexual gospel is, a, is, is really just when well-meaning Christians and talking to their gay um, friends or family will say, if you come to Jesus, or if you come to Jesus, you can be straight, or in coming to Jesus, you will be straight. Um, I think that that is not necessarily good news, because... I think what it does is it, it, it kind of gives this, this this assumption that if a same-sex attracted person comes to Christ, that they, they won't be tempted in that way anymore. Mm. To say that I'll be straight is to say that I won't want my same sex. Mm. Um, when I don't see that as a promise of the gospel, I see the gospel being, no, you, you come to Christ for Christ. You come to, 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 the, to the faith for Jesus. And you come to Jesus to be made right with God, and in being made with, right with God, surely he'll give you the Holy Spirit. And, and you having the Holy Spirit, if you are tempted still, you will have power to flee that. You will have power to flee sexual immorality. You'll have power to choose righteousness. You won't have to, you know, uh, submit your members to unrighteousness anymore. And so I, I just think for me, when I used to hear that kind of language, it discouraged me so much because it felt as if maybe I'm not trusting God enough, that's why I'm still tempted with this. Or maybe I'm not actually a Christian because I'm, 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 not, I'm still tempted with this. Or, or maybe I, there's something wrong that I'm not straight yet. And yeah. so I don't, I don't know if people see the damage that comes when presenting the gospel, or that, that it's not even the gospel, but presenting that in that way. Um, I just don't, I don't, think that's, I don't think it's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, for some people, the, the, you know, just the concept of, of sanctification, they almost have an over-realized view, perhaps, and and over-promise. And really, it, it's a it's an area among, I guess, if we could say, maybe reformed folk, but just evangelicals in general. That's kind of a version of the prosperity gospel, in a sense, right? The you know, yep. if you if you believe if you just believe hard enough, 
or if you're trusting enough, um, or if your gospel is real enough, then you know you wouldn't have this um, this experience or this desire or or what have you. Um, yeah, I want to ask you and about. It's, it's yeah, crazy because we don't we don't preach this to heterosexual people. That's right. We don't say, "Hey, you'll never want another woman in your life." <laughs> what? Right. You won't be a luster <laughs> yeah, anymore. Will. Yeah. He will surely be tempted. And yes, she will. She will surely, at some point in her marriage, have some type of level of discontentment and miss or want some random guy that is not her husband. And so the same temptations that exist in all of us, uh, God and, 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 and Christ will give us the power to flee them. And so that's the promise. Is yeah. There's hope that we can overcome death because of Jesus. Yeah, I, I think the concern for many is is somewhat... Um, parallel to or connected to the question of identity, right? So it, it's not so much, um, I don't hear so much from many that the idea is if you become a Christian, you'll never have those desires ever again, or, um, you know, you'll be, you know, you'll never be tempted in that way again. But a, a question of how we identify ourselves, right? So just recently, um, with uh, the Revoice Conference and some of that, there was a, and still is, a big controversy in regard to um, can Christians identify as a gay Christian or so on and so forth. And, and there's even yeah. um, some who, you know, affirm the biblical, the traditional biblical teaching on homosexuality um, and who have committed to chastity and yet identify that way. Could What's your opinion of that? Could, you know, do you have a, a, a viewpoint yeah. there? Is it appropriate or not appropriate? I think it's unhelpful, um, mainly because, so I've been thinking through this a lot just because I think this question will, will kind of become a, uh, become more common because I don't remember this being actual an actual question two years ago right. or talked about or discussed as much. Um, to me, I, I think it's a product of the culture. I think the culture has set up people in such a way where we center our entire identities or our personhood around who we like. Uh, we introduce each other that this is my straight friend, this is my gay friend. When I, I think who we are to completely just rest on the fact that we're all image bearers of the living God. And so I think there's that. I, I don't I don't think God ever intended for us to personify ourselves based on our affections and, 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 and our attractions. But then I think moving to uh, faith then, it's like in the New Testament, the Corinthians were a hot mess. Yeah, <laughs> like a lot of these cats in the New Testament were uh, were troublesome, but they are always referenced in the present tense in their relation or their position with God, and so they're called beloved. They're called saints. They're called uh, new creation. We are the bride of Christ. Even Paul, where he's not referencing himself as a persecuting Christian or people aren't calling themselves adulterous Christians, and that sounds like I'm being funny. But I'm not. Right. I don't. I just don't think that our identity should be rooted in our temptation or our or our past sins. But rather, what has Christ done for us? Who are we submitted to? Who is our master? And that's Jesus. Um, and so I think it's. I think it's unhelpful in how we see ourselves. But I also think it could be unhelpful for the world because to say that I'm a gay Christian, you may very well be a believer. But what does that say to the world? To the power of the gospel? Then 
does, does it say does it say are you still submitted to it or, right. are, 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 or what is that you get what I'm saying like a lot of questions come up out of calling yourself a gay Christian that may not have to be there if you just say I am a Christian period yeah no, I think that's an excellent point what do you hope those in in the church learn from your book hmm in the church, I think a sense of empathy, and I, and I think God is doing that, and I'm, I'm really grateful because a lot of the responses from the book have been that they could cross out gay girl on the front cover and insert whatever sin. Yeah. And I think that's good because it's putting, it's, it's helping people see that, no, like, is homosexuality a, 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 a distinctive sin with different types of, it doesn't have nuance for sure, but at the same time, everyone can can understand the general struggle of sin. And so I wanted the church, and I'm, I'm grateful to see that this is happening, I wanted the church to see that we are all very different, but we are all very much alike. And so in our counsel, in our prayers, in our uh, walking with other brothers and sisters who uh, are same-sex attracted, we can understand that. Well, we don't get it, but I do get it all at the same time. Um so, and I think, secondly, along with empathy, I just want people to bring God back into the conversation. I want there to be a God-centeredness to our council. I want there to be a God-centeredness to our evangelism, um, because I really, truly do believe that when we exalt Christ as He is, um, seated at the right hand of the Father, when we when we do that, I think it, it is it is such a great encouragement for why He should be believed and why he should be continued to be believed um, for those who have already believed in him already. Yeah. What about those who are struggling um, with same-sex attraction, or they're in the, um, as, yeah, in the community? What, what would you— As a believer? Um, not necessarily, no. Maybe someone's picking up the book and they're just angry. You know, they're like, I'm going to read this to hate read it, you know, and uh, or, <laughs> or just to yeah, see what you say. I, Maybe they don't hate I, it, I, I, you know. I think the hate readers are probably, you know, Kindle or something. But um, I think uh, I think I want them to see, by God's grace, that this is less, and I've said this before, but this is less about sexuality and more about where are you with God. Um, because if, it, if it's just a sexuality problem, I, I think that kind of downplays what depravity is. Mm. <laughs> this isn't just my, my affections are messed up. It is my heart is, my whole person is, and that my whole person needs to be made right with the Father. Thus, my whole person can bear fruit once I am. And so I just I just would hope that they would see that God has greater intentions beyond getting them hitched and getting them in, in the pulpit and in a seminary, but really He wants to make them right with Himself and give them the joy that comes with knowing and being satisfied fully in God and all that he is, and, and loving him, his scriptures, and being put into another community, a community where God dwells, a community where God uh, is alive, a community where you can meet and talk to people, and at any point in your conversation, God is speaking because they know him and are filled with his spirit. And so, yeah, I just hope that they would see God in it, not me. You're going to see me. It's about me, obviously. Yeah. But that, like, they were really leave impacted with, with, with a godness, uh, a god-centeredness that they didn't expect. Oh. The, the book came out 
um, a few weeks ago. Is that right? September 3rd, something like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, at this recording, um, it's been out a couple of weeks now. Have you heard from any, you know, what's been some of the feedback from either one of those groups? Um, you know, have you been encouraged by that? Um, so I haven't read, I read one Amazon review and, uh, <laughs> it, it said that there was, there's way too much theology in it. So I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was deeply encouraging to me, yeah. uh, but I, I didn't read anymore. Um, and so I, I, I thought I was going to sit down with my husband and have him flesh through, uh, the reviews for ones that would actually encourage me. Okay. Um, and so I think, but on Instagram and on Twitter, yeah, I think people are growing or have grown in empathy because of it. Um, I just spoke with a mother this past weekend whose daughter is gay, and she was just crying and letting me know that uh, what I had to say about the heterosexual gospel has just transformed how she sees her daughter and how she plans to love her daughter because she didn't realize that all she focused on and all she talked to her daughter about and all she tried to pray about and all she ministered to was the fact that her daughter was gay and, and just forgot to love the whole person. Um, and so I've been hearing a lot of that. And so it's, it's so encouraging because this is new. I've never written a book before. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's a fun thing to feel like all of the work and all of the prayers are coming to life, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you've got you. You're you're already showing some good discernment about the, the Amazon reviews because they are uh, <laughs> they can be a front line for sanctification for sure. My favorites are the ones who uh, I believe you. You know, they I don't even know why that you would order a book just based on a title without knowing anything about it. But I had a guy once who gave me a negative review. He didn't order the book or read it. But he was searching for another book, and mine came up in the search results, and he was angry about it and left me a, oh, <laughs> a one star. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing uh, ever. So you, <laughs> you always come across those. That's just somebody. Yeah. You're just mad. You're yeah. just, that, people like that are bad. Yeah. Well, and that what, took a lot of time. Yeah. Like you, you had to sit down and write that. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's a commitment to do, to do that. How angry were you? Yeah. Like, you're, you're – <laughs> You well, reached your, your limit, sir. Here's a here's a tip too. If you ever do see a negative review, look at what else that person has reviewed. That's helped me when I see when I see the books they I didn't do know you like. That. <laughs> yeah, you sometimes you can click on their thing and you can see what books that they did like, and that actually helps me. You know, it's encouraging. Oh, well, they you know their highest reviews are you know for kitchen products and batteries and and. Uh, you know, and they read, you know, Amish romances. So clearly I'm not too concerned if they didn't like mine, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the person that said I have too much theology probably doesn't read the Bible. Yeah, well, that's a that great, that's a great blurb. Of, that's full of theology. Yeah, the, your next book oh, it is. on the I, back, you just need to, you need to put too much theology, Amazon reviewer. <laughs> I should have DNA create a, a graphic that's right. <laughs> with that in quotations. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward, um, anything coming out? Any projects that you're working on now besides uh, your daughters? <laughs> yeah, um, in, in de- yeah, motherhood yeah. is one. Um, in December, I'm, a, I'm starting, uh, I'm doing a Bible study on Jude for Lifeway. Oh, nice. Um, so that should be fun. I've never done that before. Um, but I just, I just love the book of Jude, and I think it, it's overlooked. Too much, but I think it has so much, um, so 
so much in it that is so relevant for today, yeah. as the Bible always is. <laughs> but I, I think specifically, um, I think it could really train women um, to learn how to discern who they listen to, but at the same time to be confident that they'll be kept. Um, so. Yeah. And uh, Poets and Autumn Tour, are you on that? Is that still ongoing? It's going, but I'm not on it. Um, oh, okay. my, my my husband is on it, and gotcha. my friends are on it, and so they're still it's still super powerful, super good. I haven't seen the show yet, yeah. um, but they come to Atlanta in two weeks, so okay. I'm looking forward to it. All right, excellent, Jackie. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, sister. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, we've been speaking to Jackie Hill Perry, author of the new book "Gay Girl, Good God," which you can find wherever good books are sold. Uh, Don't forget to visit For the Church online at ftc.co, ftc.co. We have an excerpt up from Jackie's book. Uh, Just look for the post titled, Don't Preach a Heterosexual Gospel. Thanks for listening. As always, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.